Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hello and welcome to episode two of We Made a Beer. Episode two. The podcast in which we, two beer novices, find out about beer by brewing it, drinking it and talking to some really cool people. In this episode, we will chat about the perils of home brewing with you brew's brewing assistant, Tash. Midway through the fermentation of my first beer that I ever brewed, there was an earthquake. And at first it was, I mean, it was terrifying. And then it was like, oh my goodness, my beer. We ask Mario, the head brewer of Orbit Brewery, where in the world we can go to find the best lager. Ryanair flights to Nuremberg, if someone knows going from (laughs) London. London to Nuremberg, 40 quid return, it's good. And we chat with Jeff from the Resting Hair Pub about why lagers developed such a bad rep. Stella Artois used to be good in the 80s. I once met the brewer and he explained how they brewed it in the 80s compared to how it's brewed now and it's horrendous. Despite having no experience of either podcasting or brewing, we are throwing ourselves right in at the deep end and attempting to brew up a plethora of beers using the kit and expertise of the lovely folks at Brew. If you missed last week's episode or simply got blind drunk straight afterwards and forgot who Brew are, they're London's first open brewery, a brewery where you brew the beer. You can become a member, use their equipment and generally go to town on it. In each episode of our lovely series, we'll be trying our hand at brewing a new beer completely from scratch and talking about a different element of the craft beer scene with some people who really know their stuff. In episode one, we learnt and hopefully taught you a little bit about how to make beer. We did this by brewing our very own, an IPA. And you know what? It wasn't so bad. More importantly, this also means that we've stayed true to the name of our podcast, which is great. High five! (laughs) (laughs) so full disclosure the process of brewing never really changes too much on this podcast if you want to see our step-by-step guide on how to brew you can visit our website wemadeabeer.co.uk where we've got a blog going on which is mainly full of pictures of us dicking about in the brewery but we'll hopefully give you a decent idea of what's going on that you can't see if you missed episode one here's how our ipa went down the smells good and the color's good let's see how it tastes yeah it's drinkable (laughs) (laughs) um I want more aroma. I probably want to get rid of some of that acidity. It is cloudy. Would you be willing to put this in the tap room and sell as part of your own collection of beer? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Bit of a shitstorm, but it was our first beer, so we're not being too harsh on ourselves. And hands up, we got a ton of help from our Ubrew guru, Matt. So we're blaming him, really, for the way that it's gone down. (laughs) But we won't tell him that. Either way, we promise we'll be getting much more hands-on as we go along. In fact, this lager was made pretty much entirely with our handiwork, bar some pretty good recipe development by the We Made a Beer personal brew monkey, Tash. Okay, Tash does actually have a real job. She's a brew assistant at Ubrew, but she's going to be helping us develop the recipes for our beers in this series. Tash, like ourselves and many others out there, got into beer through the natural route. Big beer fan, seeks out taproom, visits many taprooms and thinks, hmm... This whole brewing process, I fancy having a go myself. So, in steps the homebrew culture. And here's a great story she told us 
about her first ever homebrew escapade. I think my funniest homebrew story is I'm, I'm from New Zealand and uh, so I lived in, in Wellington, which is fairly earthquake prone, like most of New Zealand. Midway through the fermentation of my first beer that I ever brewed, um, I was in my, in my flat on the fourth floor of an apartment building when there was an earthquake. And at first it was, I mean, it was terrifying. And then it was like, oh my goodness, my beer. All of my trub is going to be completely shaken up, obviously. So once you, once you leave your beer to ferment, it needs to sit there and it really needs to sit. You know, you move it, you shake up your trub, you produce soft flavours. My initial reaction was to dive underneath a table, of course, because it was an earthquake, but also my fermentation bucket was underneath the table. And so I was halfway through an earthquake, clutching this fermentation bucket begging that the trub wouldn't be too shaken up so I could still drink it. And actually, it was one of the nicer beers that I ever made, so... I feel like that's a bit of a blood, sweat and tears story, really. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Do your mates think you've got the best job ever? Yeah, I'm, like, super popular. <laughs> no, no, I mean, no, I'm very, I'm very, very lucky. Do you have any kind of specialities that you like to brew more than others, or do you just, like, experimenting with loads of different stuff? Yeah, I like experimenting. So uh, last week I brewed a lemon and ginger wheat beer. And the month before that, it was a smoked chili IPA. So because we're not brewing on such a large scale, you want to do something bizarre, and it might not work out. Sometimes it doesn't. If it does, it's great. You make 100 bottles of it, and then within a week, they're gone. But you've created something cool, and you've got to share it with this community, and it's, yeah, it's pretty neat. The weird shit's always the best shit at a party, though, isn't it? I think so. It's, I mean, someone's got to be doing the gimmicky beers. So this week, we're going to brew a lager, but I hear that lager's really difficult. Is that true? Um, the process is fairly similar. The difficulty comes with regulating conditions. So the difference between a lager and an ale is, is two things. It's the yeast that we use. So uh, it's a bottom fermenting yeast that we use for lager as opposed to a top fermenting yeast that we use for ales. Um, and it's the fermentation temperature. So we need to keep our temperature really low for, um, for lagering. And what that means is our fermentation is a lot longer. So you need to have a way of keeping it cool, which a lot of craft breweries don't, home brewers don't. Um, and you need basically to leave it for longer. So the process is fairly similar to the IPA, to the porter, but the aftercare is more. So it's super exciting for us to be able to do this because we couldn't do it at home because we don't actually have the facilities to cool it and to keep our yeast at the temperature it's going to be happy at. Exactly, exactly. Um, full disclosure, I've never brewed a lager before either. Um, full I... disclosure, we've actually never brewed a lager, have we? <laughs> we've never brewed a lager, no. So this is going to go very successfully. No, but it is my go-to drink. I quite like a German lager, which I believe is hoppy. Fairly hoppy. Um, we're going to do a similar hop regimen to, to say, a porter. So we'll use um, some early edition hops for bittering. Um, we'll use a little bit of late edition hop, but that kind of that bitterness and that clean, crisp flavour that we kind of associate with hops actually comes from the cold fermentation. So a German lager is hops. We can use a, probably a Saas, a German hop that we have. The, the Americans are obsessed with hops, so everything they do is hop. Porters are hops, wheat beers are hops. Um, we, we can do that, but what we can also do, try and do anyway is do a traditional, clean, crisp German lager. So, very, very simple recipe, just using the Pilsner malt and just using the Sars hops. Super simple. Hopefully there won't be too much room for error. It seems like because it's so simple, we really shouldn't balls this one up, but <laughs> I'm afraid because I've heard that it's, it's complex. There's actually, I think, less margin for error with a, with a lager than it, there is with an ale. As long as you can keep it at temperature, then, uh, then we should be grand. Why do you think lager's got such a bad rep in the craft brewing scene? I think about that quite a lot. I'm not a lager drinker myself, um, and I, I think 
probably the reason I'm not a lager drinker is a similar reason that it's got such a bad rap. I think there's two reasons, and I think one is that people think it's boring, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with it being boring. It's clean, and it's easy drinking, and it's low in alcohol, and it's cold, which are all great things about a beer. The other thing is because lagers come from the kind of German tradition, uh, and the German tradition of brewing is... um, incredibly strict so you use four ingredients and four ingredients only um, so there's a kind of a lot of adherence to tradition things things don't change and what people want at the moment is something new and exciting and different and I'm guilty of the same thing I really love drinking a nice well-brewed simple IPA if I come to a bar I want to try the weirdest thing on tap and I might switch back after that to something simple but I always want to try something strange is anyone at the moment doing anything interesting with lager I'm sure that there are people doing things interesting (laughs) with lager I would not be the person to talk to about that yes interesting things are happening but I think lager is not the style to look for if you want experimental beers chatting to Tash got us thinking she's really into beer has been for a while and she's surrounded by brewers both amateur and professional, every working day. But she couldn't think of anyone doing anything interesting with lager. So, is lager just really boring? Is there really no one making flavourful lagers? And why, instead of having a huge selection of different tasting lagers in pubs, do we mostly just see the same big names on repeat? We went on a little mission to find out. Our research led us, as research often does, to my local pub in Borough. On tap then was a tasty lager style, called Alt Beer, brewed really nearby at Orbit Brewery in Walworth. Here was an example of a really tasty lager brewed literally a stone's throw from my house. We had to check it out. We took a stroll down to Orbit to chat with their head brewer, Mario, about Alt Beer and other great lagers. Heads up, it was a really busy day in the brewery and it is a little bit noisy. Hi, my name is Mario. I'm the head brewer at Orbit. Orbit started in uh, 2014. We brewed our first beer in July 2014 in Walworth, uh, southeast London. And uh, uh, we brew slightly different things from, from everyone else in London, I think. We've got two beers in a core range, which can be, can be classified as lagers. And we tend to do uh, lots of European-influenced uh, beers. One that we were trying at uh, a pub around the corner from here was the, the alt beer. Sure. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't think I'd really tried that style before. What actually is alt beer? So alt beer is the classic style uh, from the city of Dusseldorf. It's uh, a beer that uh, predates and has has survived bottom fermentation. So it's uh, it's a top fermented beer. It's fermented with the top fermenting, what some will call ale yeast. It can go from lighter amber colour to actual, you know, deep amber almost brown it's quite quite a multi beer uh, quite um it depends on the examples really so they're quite different some of them are really bitter some of them are sweeter some of them are um, lighter bodied some of them are fuller bodied uh, it can, can go everywhere i can't yeah. say that i've seen many around like is it quite obscure or have i just had my eyes closed actually all this time <laughs> no it is uh, i would say yeah you could call it an obscure style even in germany um you can really only find it in uh, the area around Dusseldorf, really. Uh, it's quite a peculiar beer. I suppose it's closer, in a way, to uh, you know a British bitter than other dark lagers. But it is technically classed as a lager. Um, it's, there's a bit of debate about this, I suppose. Um, so technically it is fermented like an ale, because it's fermented at ale temperatures. But I would argue that the flavour of Altbier really depends on uh, a long lagering time, which uh, you know clears the beer and uh, the yeast can reabsorb some of those uh, sulfury and fruity compounds that's made during fermentation. So you say you've got two beers in the range that could definitely be classified as lagers? Yes. 
Yes, we've got that, and we've got our Nico, which is a we call it a Conseil Lager. Um, it's made as a Kolsch, but we can't technically call it a Kolsch because of European legislation. Was it sort of a conscious decision to make lagers and make them interesting because not a huge amount of other kind of craft brewers are doing that? Yes, I like lager. We've actually discovered whilst making this podcast, I suppose we sort of knew it beforehand, that lager gets a really bad rep in the craft world. Why do you think that is? Um, I don't know. I mean, the, the standard of lagers, commercial lagers in this country is dire. It's absolutely appalling and yeah, I don't blame anyone for not wanting to drink uh, 3.8% watery metallic liquid. But lager is much more than that. There's, there's some of the best beers in the world, in my opinion, are lagers. Some of most of my favorite beers in the world are lagers. And uh, lager can be good. Lager is good. Lager is great. You should uh, go and try some where it's actually made. You know, Germany, Czech Republic, a great place to drink lager. Cool. So if people are listening to this and they're big lager fans, where should they go? Well, they should definitely make the way to, to Franconia. That's a top place to drink good beer. Um, Ryanair flights to Nuremberg, if someone knows going from <laughs> London. London to Nuremberg, 40 quid return. It's good. And then Bamberg is just a 40-minute train ride. Some of the malt that we use and the malt that a lot of people use in London actually comes from Bamberg. In a 30-mile radius around Bamberg, there's 80 breweries. And in the whole of just upper Franconia, which is a bit of Franconia, there's 277 breweries. Most of them are tiny uh, family businesses and they've got their own tap room and just sell the beer there, they make the beer for that. And it's great. It's just beautiful. It's part of everyday life and you get to see all that as well. Say people can't make it all the way to a Ryanair flight. Where do you think in the UK people can go? There's quite a few really good lagers being made in in London right now. Um, Orbit, obviously. Orbit, of course. It's the best. Four Pure makes a really nice Pilsner, which I really enjoy. Um, That's my favourite. I do like, some people might not agree with me, but I really think that Camden Unfiltered is a really nice drink. Um, So are you Italian originally? I am, yes. So you're an Italian guy, brewing in London, um, a mainly German stock of beers. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah. Robert, who's the owner and founder of the brewery, is Scottish. I'm Italian, so I thought we'd meet halfway. And that's (laughs) just about around around Germany, I think. So there you go. So we were reading up about Orbit uh, on the website and uh, read that you guys create your sort of delicious beers to a soundtrack of classic and contemporary tunes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it sounds really cool. It's a really nice thing. Um, does there usually a lot of music on when you guys are brewing? There is usually a lot of music on when we're brewing. And we actually made a beer especially for an exhibition by a guy called Vaughn Oliver, who was the designer for all the 4AD labels in the 80s, especially the Pixies. So we made a beer with a, the monkey from little pixies we met frank black and all that it was all cool oh it was God, really good so cool. but that was cool it's a picture of me and frank black in here wow. <laughs> super cool that's really really yeah. cool yeah. and um, can you tell us a bit more about the white label series yeah. what is it so um we want to do some one-offs and uh, things that we wouldn't usually brew that are not in a core range and wanted to experiment a little bit more so we came up with the idea of the white label series so they're going to be one-off experimental releases well once for now if we like them we might think of making them again first one came out uh, earlier on this year i think it was february that was a double colch and who was that inspired by so that was inspired by a dusseldorf tradition of making a stronger alt beer once a year all the breweries within Dusseldorf all the brew pubs in Dusseldorf do it 
And we thought we'd do the same thing, but with our Kolsch. So we made a 6.9, Kolsch. That's a boozy one, yeah. that is. It's yeah. nice, but yeah, you finish the first and you're like, I have another one, then you're halfway <laughs> through the second one, and, and you're done. Um, yeah, there's that, and then uh, we've done number three and number three. Number two was a collaboration with Fine Ales in Scotland. Uh, we did a, a, a Keller beer, so an unfiltered golden lager, but we hopped it with Citra, and uh, we've basically sold out I think in a couple of weeks <laughs> so Ooh. that's good and then we've done uh, uh, the third one which is a 3.3% um, Pilsner so very low in alcohol but it's got a really nice body to it we called it a uh, 24 hour party Pilsner <laughs> fantastically yeah. well named yeah, yeah good we couldn't uh, we couldn't pass on that <laughs> Oh, oh, love Mario. Love Mario. He was lovely. What a legend. Super knowledgeable and a really great advocate for decent lager. I personally definitely fancy a trip to Franconia. Yeah, me too. I really like the picture he paints of the family-run tap rooms and drinking great beer, literally just right next to the brewery that it's brewed in. Massive thanks as well to Mario for coming on our podcast. Yeah, cheers, Mario. And for being such a babe. So we've chatted to a couple of brewers and it's been really interesting to hear their contrasting opinions But at the end of the day, I think we need to hear from someone on the front line, someone who's facing that lager-loving public every day. So I went to visit a lovely guy called Jeff, who runs a great new pub near Euston Station called The Resting Care. Now, it really is a cool place. It's got 14 beer taps, including four real ale pumps, and eight taps dedicated to German beer styles, which of course means lager. He's a massive fan of lager and had some really interesting insights into how Joe Public views lager. So I'm Jeff and I'm at the moment I'm running the resting here for the Bloomsbury Leisure Group. This is a new bar and brasserie we opened at just at the beginning of this year. We have basically eight taps in total for German and Czech beers and apart from one or two speciality German kind of beer hall type places we're the only place in London that can say that so I take it that was a conscious decision to sell so many lagers was it because you love lager or because actually nowhere else is doing it it's because we love it Um, the owner of this company and myself who are good friends uh, get to Germany at least twice a year together and then separately because we're not joining the hip we (laughs) go on family holidays and whatnot Um, and we've toured small breweries right the way up from the north and Dusseldorf and Cologne down to Bavaria to Frankfurt we've been all over we've sourced some of the beers ourselves we even directly import some of them so it's a passion thing for us and it's where we like to go on our holidays so out of all of those beers what would you say is the most popular one in terms of the lager specifically okay well obviously the most commercial beers will be the most popular so we sell a lot of Bitburger from Duisburg from North Germany near Dusseldorf and it's uh, clean fresh very commercial German Pilsner. We sell a lot of that. We sell just about the same amount of a beer from Erksner Brewery, which is a small family-owned brewery on the Baden-Württemberg Bavaria border, and they brew our house resting hair lager at 4%. It's not even available in their brewery tavern, in their small brewery tavern. It's brewed for the UK. The importer, Sandy, who is from Baden-Württemberg himself, he commissioned it for the UK market. Some other pubs do buy it, but we have it on regularly. We call it Resting Hair Lager, but make it clear, it's brewed by Erksner. Um, we also have Marsbrow on most of the time because we have a personal relationship with them. Uh, we own our own kegs and we send them over on a pallet, get them filled, use it all up, 
and uh, so on and so forth, which enables us also to sell the beer at a great price. So we're not selling this stuff at the kind of prices you might see elsewhere. Our German beers range from £4 to the top end being £5.20. So is that kind of a niche system to do, owning your own kegs and getting them filled up? Yeah, it is. There are more efficient ways of doing things. It doesn't save us an enormous amount of money, but it's great fun and enables us to get our Mars Weiss in particular and our Mars Ungespundet beers that really benefit. So Ungespundet's a Keller beer and obviously Mars Weiss is a wheat beer. They really benefit from being fresh from that brewery in Bamberg. And we, our kegs are actually out on the street today and you can see them as you walk past. They're about to go back there. They'll be filled. They'll be back with us in a week and uh, they'll be back on the taps. That's great. It's such a super sort of system to have. Um, But obviously a lot of people kind of give lager a bit of a bad rep. So why do you think that is? Why does lager have such a bad reputation? Well, I think the most obvious point in this country is that lager was bastardised so badly by the big commercial brewers. And there's no denying that. You know, Stella Artois used to be good in the 80s. I once met the brewer and he explained how they brewed it in the 80s compared to how it's brewed now, and it's horrendous. But really, I think it's more than that. Culturally, we have you know, this great excitement about very, very hoppy craft beer that people have maybe forgotten that traditional brewing styles took centuries to perfect and the Germans led the way in that, um, and the Czechs, of course, and it might not be as trendy and as fashionable, but now that people have come to understand what great beer is, we hope they'll also come to understand why some of the more traditional styles that come out of that part of the world are so important. So you can see some positive news on the horizon for the lager brewer? Well, what we've certainly seen is a huge interest in the German beers that we've done. People have got genuinely excited that, say, we've had Augustina Edelstoff, which is brewed in, you know, a medium-sized brewery in Germany, and people have got really quite excited about that. People have got excited to see us having a Kulschon. People have got excited to see us having a Keller beer. You know, we're actually getting people coming back time and time again just to have these specific beers. So if someone were to walk in with that attitude that lager is a bit... I think a lot of people think it's bland and I think a lot of people think it's boring. So if someone were to walk in with that attitude, what one beer would you say, right, this will change everything, you'll have this, you'll change all of your opinions about lager? If I had to pick one that's on our taps now, I'd say Mars Ungespundet Keller beer. Because, first of all, it's not a traditional lager colour. It's like a brown colour. It's uh, got kind of some of the fruity flavours you'd associate with an ale because that's the way Keller beers are made. The carbonation's slightly different. And that would make people realise immediately, this is fantastic. If I was allowed to give them a second one, I'd give them our Erksner Dart Lager because they could see immediately what a Schwartz beer is, which, you know, they just didn't really exist on the British market until this craft revolution happened. So really just show them that lagers can be all different colours and have different flavour profiles um, while still using, you know, the same traditional methods. So you're a lager fan, I'm a lager fan, but can you give me, like, a concise reason as to why you like lager so much? Well, I would say I nowadays drink more lagered beers than I do cask ales. And that's kind of a bit of a journey I've been on. It's partly just because I love Germany and the Czech Republic. I used to live in Prague and I've got that kind of interest. But I would say it's the integrated flavour profiles are what I really enjoy. The fact that you get these very different flavours, but it's integrated, because that's what my understanding is, that, you know, that integrated flavour profile comes from that lagering process, that keeping it at a low temperature for a while. It brings everything together. And I just think it's immensely elegant. And it means it works great with food as well 
well because it doesn't compete, it just lifts it. And I just love beer with a big foaming head in a big German mug as well. And it's partly, it's aesthetic and isn't a lot of what we all are enjoying about beer at the moment, the aesthetics of it. And I like that German aesthetic. I went to uh, Brussels recently and chose most of my beers based on which vessel it came in. That was all about it. Exactly. And I mean, a lot of this is the fun that brings us to explore these different flavours. And, you know, we do drink with our eyes and we do enjoy a certain experience. And I like a glass with a lovely, beautiful head that German beers can produce. I mean, that's part of what I love. In London, we're actually really lucky. I mean, it's not as bad as it seems. Obviously, compared to uh, Germany, we don't have quite the same amount of choice lager-wise. But in London specifically, we've got loads of microbreweries doing loads of interesting things, but not many of them doing lager. So why do you think that is? Well, first of all, to be fair to them, it's because, you know, people like us are bringing in great beers from Germany and Czech Republic that, by its very nature, German lager brewing in, in Czech lager brewing is very technical and it's been perfected over a long period. And to start up microbrew, it's hard to compete, isn't it? It costs quite a lot to make lager, particularly on a smaller scale, because you've obviously got to, you've got to keep it in the brewery longer to lager it in tanks. You've got to have more equipment, and that takes longer. So to be fair, it, it's a question of economics. It's also just a question of supply and demand, because we're only really five or six years into the craft beer thing, and a lot of craft beer enthusiasts haven't yet discovered lager. And I think as the years are going on, they are going to. And at that point, I think the brewers in London that are doing things, me in more continental style like Mondo and Orbit, and then obviously Camden have already led the way on that, and Meantime as well. Camden and Meantime already have had their day in the sun, but I think some of the smaller brewers like Orbit and Mondo will find that as well. I feel like it's a bit of a niche, and you know, maybe more of them should be sort of cottoning onto this because there's a lot of people doing a lot of very similar sort of styles. But because so few of them are doing lager, it's actually a really big niche. And if you jump into that niche, surely you're going to sort of rise above and have a little wave of success. I think so. I think the the issue is I think you kind of have to be known as a lager brewer at the moment. So it's why, you know, Freedom, for example, despite making what I consider an immensely average product, are able in the UK to get in so many craft beer bars where they simply won't sell something that isn't from a small UK brewery for whatever reason, and they're able to burst in there um, and put out what, as I say, is quite an average product. It is cheap, to be fair to them. And... Um, you know, it, 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 I think I'd like to see more people establish themselves, like Orbit, they've established themselves as doing German styles from the beginning. So I think, you know, they're, for example, well-placed for that niche. For Pure as well, they came out at the beginning with that fantastic pills, which might be, I think, consistently the best UK brewed lager. I can assure you that uh, the We Made a Beer lager is in no way in any form of competition to those guys. Oh, yeah. yeah, also one thing I will never lose the opportunity to mention is how good Samuel Smith's lagers are and they've been doing it because they work with Aingabrau in the 70s or 80s they work with Aingabrau very respected still Bavarian brewery even had a license right up until recent years to call the beer that name and their their brewer used to come over and check with them and they produce good lagers even their 2.8% lager is actually good their 4% brilliant and their 5% pure brewed lager is great as well and very British uses British ingredients so you know they've already established themselves and I, I would love to see more Sam Smith's lagers in the free trade which you never do you just see them in their pubs and in bottles basically I sometimes think that places that set themselves out as a craft beer bar 
don't do lager because lager is not considered to be craft. So I was just wondering, what would your sort of definition of the word craft be? It's a marketing term. Of course it is. I mean, we sell Bitburger here and, you know, I'm not going to pretend Bitburger is anything but industrial. In a good sense, beer lends itself to being made on an industrial scale. And Bitburger is a great beer, but on their glasses, almost cheekily, their UK glasses, they've got uh, crafted since 1817 or something. It's a marketing term that's almost become self-mocking for a lot of the industry now. I think to what a lot of people, what it means is, to the vast majority of the public, it just means not cascale, but not ordinary lager, and probably something quite hoppy. Uh, to people who think more about it in the industry, what it probably means is something produced by a smaller independent brewery with the emphasis on bringing out the flavour first and, you know, kind of worrying about the economics of it afterwards, which is a bit more romantic. And I think that's what appeals to the craft beer enthusiasts, that idea of let's make the great product and let's make the rest of it fit later. Nice, I actually agree with that. I do think it sounds really romantic as a word, but who knows what it actually does mean. I don't think there's any reason to believe that the future will be entirely different to the past. And what will happen is, as craft you know, beer breaks out of a niche, which it's already done, there's going to be trusted brands are going to emerge and people are going to adapt to the fact that the craft breweries are owned and distributed by the larger outfits. So I think what we are going to see is beer is going to be better for a very long time and hopefully forever but i think the explosion of small breweries has been too much they're not all going to find a market some of them will be able to combine but i don't think their business models are set up so sadly i do think there'll be a contraction but fortunately for the consumer as opposed to the hopeful young business people i think there's going to be better beer everywhere and we already see that we can go to cinemas and theaters and they've got great beer and uh, I think the future is better beer, but not more small breweries, I think fewer of them. So do you think it'll be maybe more pubs than tap rooms, for example? I would like to think so. Um, I do find it a little bit galling when small brewers often have the attitude that pubs should somehow support them and then they set up their own tap rooms to compete at a lower price. Um, and that's fine, but on the other hand, you know, realise it's business we're in here. We tend not to stock as much from breweries that do their own on-sailing a lot here. We tend to go to bring people something different. So if we have a, a bar that's near somewhere with a tap room, we wouldn't tend to sell that because they've entered the trade themselves. I think that it's great for a lot of these small breweries to do their tap rooms, and they're often really great fun places to go. I like Howling Hops, and I've always liked Camden's tap room, but I would like to think that, you know, it's the craft beer that's in the pubs that matters, because pubs are what matter. Super. Thanks so much for coming on our podcast. It's really interesting to get a different perspective. Thank you very much. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Thanks. Oh, thanks, Jeff. Jeff was great. Jeff was super interesting. He was. He was a really nice guy. I'm sorry that you weren't there. Me too, actually. That pub sounds awesome. It was good. And also, it's not just about lager. Like I say, they've got um, real ale pumps. And in fact, they were recently nominated for North London Cameras Pub of the Summer. So nice one, Jeff. Yeah, good luck to you, Jeff. So from chatting around, it really does seem that culturally, we don't yet have the same attitude towards lager as we do towards other beers. It's so well associated with Germany and the Czech Republic that our British brewers perhaps feel like they don't stand a chance. But one thing we have learned compiling this episode is that lager absolutely isn't boring. And there really are people doing really interesting things with lager. The resting hair, in fact, have so much choice available that I was a little bit mind blown. And each lager really did offer something a little bit different on the palate. So from really good, tasty lager back two hours. At the beginning of this episode, we started brewing our lager using a really simple recipe of just Pilsner malt and SARS hops. The brewing process for our lager was almost identical to the IPA we brewed in episode one, apart from a few slight differences. Firstly, we boiled our wort for 90 minutes instead of an hour. This is because Pilsner malt contains something called DMS, which tastes pretty rank unless you boil it off, so you give it a bit more time. And we also chilled our wort to a much cooler 13 degrees before we pitched our yeast. We then left it to ferment for six weeks, and then we cold crashed it before bottling. Cold crashing is a process used to clarify beer, by chilling it right down before bottling. This process makes all the yeast and other sediment clump together and sink to the bottom. It was around four degrees when we came to bottle, and it looked pretty clear indeed. So at that stage, well, we were pretty chuffed. We then, as with our IPA, left it to bottle condition for 14 days before trotting back to Ubrew for the taste test. What we rather foolishly had done, though, was to leave it to bottle condition at too cold a temperature. This means that it didn't re-ferment properly, so was seriously lacking in bubble and head when we poured it out to taste. Here's how it went down with Yubu co-founders Matt and Wilf. You guys wouldn't normally be lager drinkers. What are your thoughts? Um, it's got some interesting flavours. <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a bad way? <laughs> Not necessarily in a bad way. Um, it doesn't taste like lager. <laughs> but that's not a bad thing. Um, kind, kind of is if you're going for the yeah, style. If you're trying to make lager, you do generally want it to taste like lager. I will give you that, but I wouldn't say it's a bad beer. <laughs> it tastes a bit like Fino Sherry. It's kind of yeasty and yeah. apple-y. <laughs> okay, well, apples is generally a sign that it's not ready to be drank yet. Um, so I think this could have done with more time in the bottle and is definitely one to revisit later. You'll probably find it tastes like lager after a while. So, yeah. Just have a bit more patience. It looks like lager, minus the bubbles, but... I get apple juice on the on the on the nose, um, which yeah reflects what Wolf just said for sure. Like immediately, I'm like, am I about to drink apple juice? Um, and it's undercarbonated, but it's probably one of the clearest beers I've ever seen brewed here. Um, it's very clear. Uh, yeah, you know, a lager is a difficult style to take on, specifically your second time. So I commend you for that. Um, and I I'd say try again, keep keep going, but. It's, it's not I, ready. I would say leave that in the bottle for a while. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's time to try again yet. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We'll revisit this in about two weeks and see how it goes. Keep lagering and hope for bubbles. 
fingers crossed, hope for bubbles. <laughs> but I think it has hope. The clarity is there. Um, we saw some fizz when it opened. It's just still working off those uh, byproducts. Um, basically, yeast, when it's having a good time, a lot to eat, it starts making these byproducts that give these apple kind of off flavors. Then as it sort of finds that actually it doesn't have easy fermentable sugars at hand, it resorts to eating those byproducts before it eventually dies. Gosh, that was a nice <laughs> note to finish that <laughs> sentence on, wasn't it? Wolf is a wolf's a hundred percent right. Like, it, like those apples might just go away. That that they, they will go away, and like it's really clear. The bubbles will come. It just it needs to lager for probably like it needs to a bottle condition for like probably like six weeks kind of thing. Like I would say it will become drinkable in three weeks and perfect in five weeks. Super. Well, we'll release our podcast now, but uh, with bated breath for five weeks' time. (laughs) Well, lesson learned. Not only does lager take three times as long to ferment in the fermenter, it then takes up to six weeks to fully condition in the bottle. The reason it takes longer to bottle condition is because of the cold crashing. This process removes some of the yeast from the beer and cools it to a temperature that it's just not super happy at. Less yeast at a cooler starting temperature meant that our lager should really have bottle conditioned for four to six weeks. As Wilf said, we're not writing it off completely. We'll come back and revisit it later in the series to see if it's tasting any less like apple juice and any more like lager. There you go. Episode two done. Our lager is on hiatus for another four weeks and the Yubu guys are yet to be particularly impressed by our beers so far. But we're pretty thick-skinned about it. We're only two beers in. And we're excited about brewing the next one. I'm feeling pretty confident about our lager. I think we did a good job of brewing it. It looks pretty good now. It just doesn't taste quite right, mm. but it'll get there. But I also, I think I know how to brew now. Like, I understand the process and the different steps, and I reckon we can do the next one a little bit more on our own. As we've learned, though, the process of perfecting beer takes time. You brew, you taste, you tweak the recipe, and you brew again. And we've not really done that yet. So any mistakes that we make, we'll learn from in the future. Next week, the podcast gets dark. We'll be making use of London's grimy tap water to make a good old British porter. We'll also be chatting to Evan from Colonel Brewery about making beer that people come back to time and time again. And we'll be learning a bit about the history of British beer from Jane Payton, booze historian and author of School of Booze. As always, if you liked this episode, please do subscribe. You can also tweet your thoughts to us at WeMadeABeer or follow us on Instagram, also at WeMadeABeer. For now, though, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> 